The message series is Authentic Living Today. We've only got a couple more messages left. The text is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through chapter 2, verse 19. Eschatology part 1. Don't get too caught up in sensational end times stuff. Now, what we're going to do today is certainly not an exhaustive study of eschatology, but we're going to look at what Peter says here in the text. In two weeks, we'll have part two, and we'll cover a little bit more. But jumping right into the text, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pause for a minute. I want you to know that when you see the word coming in the New Testament, that word typically is the same as, that you see translated as going. So when Jesus ascended to heaven on the clouds, the same word is used, but he was going. Does that make sense? It means presenting oneself. So you can do that either coming or going. Just keep that in mind. And I'll get back to reading it. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Pause for a minute again. God said this twice. Once it was at Jesus' baptism. I'll remind you, there's only one person that ever walked this planet who didn't need to be baptized. That was Jesus. And he did it, and he told all of us that we need to do it. So it makes sense. And after his baptism, God said this phrase. This phrase was also said at his transfiguration, and that is what Peter is referring to, the transfiguration. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter, last week was compelling us. You could just tell he's trying to get us to feel what he's saying. I don't have much time left. I've got to tell you these things. And now he's saying, what I'm about to tell you is very important. And it's all validated because we heard Jesus validated in the transfiguration from a voice from God. We didn't follow myths. We followed things validated by God through Jesus Christ. Now, there are atheists out there. You'll hear them. There's one. If you Google Pastor Jeff Adams and keep looking, you'll eventually see an atheist that decided to try to attack me. And as he does this, I've never met him, but he calls himself the friendly atheist. I would like to say sometimes I am a friendly pastor, but I would not say that I am the friendly pastor because that would imply that the others aren't or that I'm somehow special in the way I'm friendlier than the others. However, he's given himself a label, the friendly atheist. 
And he decided to take one of my newspaper columns and try to pick it apart. And the problem is, I was, I, it was in Washington. I don't remember if it was the Northwest Ministry Conference or if it was just a local independent Christian church and Churches of Christ conference. I don't remember it, but a guy told a story. It was compelling. I repeated the story about an atheist that was converted. And this guy, the friendly atheist, wrote his own newspaper column about it and was basically saying that because I left out the name of the guy that I was making it up. Now, I don't remember the name of the guy. I don't even remember where I was when I heard the story. It was a cool story. He could have been making it up, but I don't presume people are lying from the beginning. I presume the best in people. You know the kind of people that presume everyone's lying? Liars. But anyway, he's presuming that I'm lying, and he's, he makes a statement that's fascinating to me. He basically says, this doesn't happen. Atheists do not convert to Christianity. And he makes it like, prove it, like show one. And if you Google that, atheists converse to Christianity, one will pop up at the top, and it's Lee Strobel, because they made a movie about him, he's written books, The Case for Christ. He's just one of many. Um, there, there's, there's, there's plenty out there. Have you ever heard of C.S. Lewis? There's, there's a whole bunch. There's a slew of them. But anyway, I would have to say that when it comes to atheists, most of what they say at the beginning, if you give them the ability to speak first, let them talk, say your case, I think you, if you back up and pause and try not to be in, personally insulted by their attacks, I would have to say most of the time what they spill out at first, I would agree with. A lot of what they say about God is a misunderstanding. They have this idea of God because it's in their head, but it doesn't come from the Bible. They've got this picture of God that causes all of these people's problems, not uh, a God that allows people to have consequences for their choices. So the God that they're talking about, I'd have to say, that one doesn't exist. You're right. Because our God is a God that teaches you get free will and you have consequences from your choices. That's the God I believe in, not the one you're talking about. That one doesn't exist. I would have to agree. That one does not exist. If you listen to the atheists, most of the time, they're not arguing about the God of the Bible that we know. They're arguing about some arbitrary God that they've Somebody's made up for them or they've made up. That doesn't exist anyway. But Peter is saying very clearly, we have had our message validated. This is no myth. We stood there and heard the miraculous voice from heaven. He continues, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. I'll say this again. I say it all the time. I'm not smart enough to tell you my interpretation. I just believe it as it's written. That's the safest thing to do. For no prophecy, continues verse 21, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
keep that in mind as we move along because you're probably thinking, well, I don't know. There's been some prophecies out there. I don't know. We'll keep going. But false prophets, aha, there we go. That's where my mind went. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift, swift destruction. Next week we're going to talk about the doctrine of eternal security, what you hear it called today is once saved, always saved. We're going to talk about that next week, but pay attention. So our master has bought them, but they're bringing on themselves swift destruction. Hmm. We'll get back to that next week when we talk about eternal security. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed... They will exploit you with false words. He's not talking about fake words, words that aren't real. He's talking about words that their content are phony. These are not true prophecies. These are not true interpretations of Scripture. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Notice this concept here, they follow their sensuality. That's very common today. You don't have to go far in any type of social media and find that people are chasing their sensualities. You also don't have to go far to find greed. There are people that even come into our churches that claim Jesus as their Lord and really are trying to live for Him but still struggle with that sin of greed. There are people that like to say that it's no big deal buying lottery tickets let me tell you something about me. I gave up gambling a long time ago, and it was not a spiritual decision. I'm glad that I gave up gambling. It was a selfish decision, but I gave it up. As I was a youth minister in a United Methodist Church, there was a college kid who had fixed up a 1966 Impala. It was nice. Before they had lights under cars, this kid had put lights under his cars. He'd just taken trailer lights and he'd strategically put them under there. And it had chrome wheels that he had dipped and chromed himself. And it was a beautiful car. He'd taken a Corvette engine and put in there. And his parents gave him a Toyota Tacoma pickup truck for his birthday, his 21st birthday. And they told him, you have to sell the Impala. They were afraid he was going to wrap it around a pole or something. And he, he had noticed that I marveled at it, and he struggled with this agreeing to the deal. I get this new truck, but i got to get rid of the Impala. And he finally came to terms in his own mind, so he called me. And he said, I only want to sell it to you. I know you'll take care of it. And I said, I can't. I'm a college student. I have a truck, and I have a car. And I'm one person. I've got too many cars already. But I prayed to God at the gas pump after this. I was putting fuel into my Plymouth Fury <laughs> that drank, I think it was like four miles a gallon or something. But I, I'm putting gas in the Plymouth Fury. And I was tempted to go in and buy a lottery ticket again. And I said to God, 
Because I said, I can't, I can't do it. I can't afford it, and I got two cars. I can't do this. And Lord, if you make it a way for me to get that 66 Impala, I'll never buy another lottery ticket again. It was selfish. And then I get back to my dorm. I got a call. The kids said, my parents agreed, because I told them I didn't have the money, my parents agreed to work out payments. And then it worked out where I was able to sell my other vehicles and buy the 66 Impala. In fact, as I walked up to meet the parents, there was a couple of ladies that had taken the cardboard off the front of the 66 Impala that said for sale, and they were walking up to purchase it for the asking price, and they were a little upset that the parents pointed at me and said, that guy's buying it. So God did his thing and allowed me to have that 66 Impala, and I never bought another lottery ticket. I would like to say that I realized that buying lottery tickets is about greed and that I realized it and I, I just knew I shouldn't and God's not pleased with greed so I shouldn't be gambling with the Lord's money but that's not the way I decided if you want to be more spiritual than me that's the way you're supposed to do it you're supposed to realize I'm not supposed to be greedy I shouldn't be gambling the Lord's money but back to that idea that no prophecy comes from others no interpretation uh, comes from anyone except God I want to show you this. I, actually, this came to me this week. Uh, if you'll go ahead and flip that. There you go. If private revelations agree with scriptures, they are needless. And if they disagree, they are false. John Owen. You want to check everything with scripture. But there are people you'll come into contact with every now and then. There is one that's in my head right now. I will not name her. I believe she is a daughter of Christ. And I love her and her husband both. I believe they're both very dedicated. However, she has this unnatural desire to constantly tell everyone that she prophesied this and she prophesied that. It's always after the fact. You never hear that, you know, I prophesied. You never hear her say there's going to be a tsunami. It's always like after there's a tsunami. I, I said that was going to happen. You never hear her say it before, but somehow she's in her head. She thinks she's prophesying. But you might... You might be one. Let me see if I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm gonna, yeah. Yeah. All right. We got some good stuff coming here. If you, have, if you run into people who claim that God's giving them a word, maybe you've heard this before. In fact, there's a church that during this pandemic, there's a church called Church in the Woods. It's called Church in the Woods. It's in Olympia. It's right in Olympia, but it's in the woods in Olympia. And during the pandemic, when churches were told you can't meet, there's a group of people that got together and put up a tent and started meeting in the woods. I went there a couple of times, and, um, and in a couple of times, there's a, a guy that stood up and he just started saying things, and I took notes. And he was claiming that the Lord says this and the Lord says that. I took notes. And the interesting thing is many things that the Lord supposedly said we're actually in conflict with what the Lord already said in the Bible. And when that happens, go with the Bible. You'll run into people who claim that they have extra-biblical revelation. If you want a good book, if you want to know of a good book, it's a little older, uh, I would recommend Charismatic Chaos by John F. MacArthur, Jr. Read that. It'll tell you a little bit more about that movement. 
If someone says, God told me, this is what people do. That's the way they end an argument. God told me. That's the end of it. I mean, how do you argue? If they say, God told me, then you say, okay, well, then I guess, what do I say against that, you know? That's what people do. But if God is telling people, if God is giving them words that for the whole world to hear, then they need to write that in my Bible and yours too. Because what's the difference in inspired Scripture and inspired Scripture? What's the difference in inspiration and inspiration? If God is, if He spoke this into existence and He's speaking His words into existence through other people for the whole world to hear, then it needs to be in my Bible. I don't want to go too far on that, but I'll read a little bit further. 1 John, I'm going to read out of 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. It's a little bit past 1 and 2 Peter, but it's good stuff. Look at this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So why would God tell us that we have to not believe everything that people say is from God? Is it possible that people will say things are from God that are not from God? So how do you test that? Use this. He's given us a guidebook for life. This is a very good book to test and see if what people are saying aligns. And that's why I gave you that quote from John Owen. And I think you'll find it to be valuable. God's Word is what we need. Now some of us are very excited about this particular subject. Go ahead and click the slide. It's not JC. I, told, I called him JC. Jim, you don't look like him at all. Revelations. People love Revelations. They love talking about Revelations. They love saying that they love the book Revelations. But I must tell you something. I think the battery might be going out of my pack, and that's why we're staticky. That's usually what that means. It's brand new? Then maybe I'm itchy. Revelations, there is no S. If you'll click that, Jim, that's the Q. There is no S. There you go. There is no S. Look at your Bible. In the book of Revelation, you will, all you have to do is read the title in your own Bible, and you'll discover it's the revelation of Jesus through John, to John, and it goes through the Bible to us. So it's a revelation. It's not revelations. And anytime you hear anybody who's professing to be an expert or are knowledgeable about revelation, and they're saying revelations... They haven't even read the name of the chapter or the, or the, the title of the, the book. All you got to do is go to the first chapter and look right above it. There's the name of it. It's Revelation. The reason why so many people say Revelations is because somebody started that a long time ago and they keep doing it. And it's a very easy thing to keep doing. But people who have not studied the book call it Revelations. There's an easy marker right there. Don't believe somebody who's saying revelations. I will talk to you a little bit about revelation now. And I've given you the, uh, kind of an image like this before. So look up behind me. This is, I just pulled this off the internet. We live in a world now where people will tell you, I researched, and, and all they mean is, I googled. That's all they mean. They, they call that research now. I googled on my phone and I read, and so I know. Well, no, you don't. But this is just a, one of many that you can find by googling. I did not research to get this. I just pulled it because it was one of many, and they're almost all identical. 
until the weirdos get a hold of it. But up behind me, you've got a reference of Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. I really don't think you ought to study Revelation until you understand Daniel. At least read it and understand it. Because the language that's used in Revelation is language that's used in Daniel. And in chapter 2 in particular, the statue, let's talk about that just for a second. At the time that Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was and the interpretation, we, un- we know that Nebuchadnezzar was in charge of Babylon. So this was the Babylonian kingdom. That's why you see that on the chart behind me. But I simply went to Google and found many of these. The next kingdom he talks about, after yours, Nebuchadnezzar, will come another kingdom, represented by the different materials. You can see head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar. The chest of, and arms of silver is the Medo-Persian Empire. It's fascinating because when you read the Bible, you'll see these things that, um, that come to play that, that, are, that were prophesied by Daniel. It's, it's amazing how it all plays out. In fact, uh, the book of Esther picks up after the, uh, the Persians are defeated. It's a wonderful story. And then Greece takes over. After that kingdom will come another kingdom. The belly and thighs of bronze, that's Greece. And if you look at history, that, that's the way it played out. Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar the prophecy and what it means. History unfolded exactly as it was prophesied. The next kingdom that he talked about was from the legs of, of iron and the feet of iron and clay mixed. This was Rome. It had a divided kingdom. They fought against themselves. But he also talked about another kingdom that's not on the chart. Uh, there's a, a rock made by God. You'll see this come up on the screen behind me. I probably gave the wrong cue. There you go. There's a rock. Not fashioned by the hands of man, like the other kingdoms or, or kingdoms of man. This kingdom is made by the hand of God. And this rock will come at the time of Rome. That's what he says. It's made during that time. And it will crush. Watch this. The rock's going to come down. You can click that gem. But my statue won't fall because I didn't know how to make that happen. But anyway, it makes all of the kingdoms of man crumble. There's no more. The final eternal kingdom that's made by the hand of God will last forever. This was established by Christ as he sat on the right hand at the right hand of God, as King of kings and Lord of lords. And if you live for Him, you serve Him, He's your King, and you're in the kingdom. And that's a wonderful thing. But there are people that read parts of the Bible, and they will tell you, they'll, things will happen. For instance, what's it, what's it supposed to get in Bremerton today, temperature-wise? Anybody heard? 106? Okay. Uh, it's supposed to get up to somewhere, Seattle or Tacoma, like 113 or something on Monday. What in the world? So some people might go as far as to say, you see this? Never been this hot before in June. Sign of the times. Sign of the times. And I heard there's, there's other things. That I heard down in South Africa there's a hurricane stirring. Sign of the times. Earthquake in Japan. Sign of the times. People really, really get into this. And the idea is be afraid. Be very afraid. <laughs> I want to remind you, when Jesus talked about signs, he said, do not be afraid. 
We're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But I, I find it interesting that people really love to play with others' emotions, and they make a buck doing it. I'd like to just stick to the truth, if you don't mind. Listen to this. The King James says this. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 18. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't get caught up in that. <clears throat> How excited do you get about biblical things? Wait a minute. The best per- people to ask would be the people in your family. How excited? Imagine if somebody asked your kids or your spouse, how excited do they get about people coming to know Jesus? Do you hear them get excited about that? Or are they more excited about that TV show they like? Or are they more excited about whatever, that football game that's coming up? Or are they more excited about the sign of the times? Don't you think our Lord and the angels in heaven rejoice when people come to know him? Why don't we get excited about that? And the reason why I asked it that way, I asked, okay, so would your spouse say about you that you get excited about people coming to know Jesus or people that you might introduce to Jesus. Does your spouse hear you talk about that in an excited way more than you talk about anything else that you get excited about? You know the answer, don't you? So let's not get caught up in the sensational. Let's get caught up in what our Lord wants us caught up in. How about that? Does that work for you? Works for me. I think it works for the Lord. That's the main thing. You can get mad at me for saying things like this and making you feel uncomfortable because your spouse is now judging you and elbowing and pinching and stuff like that. But the Lord wants us to lead people to Him and people who've strayed. He wants us to go get them and bring them back. Let's get back into the text. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Notice what Peter's doing, he's building, he's, he's building a climax here. Continues, verse 6. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. I feel that sometimes in our world, don't you? Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from, the tri- from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Isn't that interesting? Those people that are especially destined for punishment are those 
that are chasing after these defiling and sensual feelings and those who despise authority. That's a scary thought if you think about it in our world today. I mean, look at what we're doing. It seems, uh, seems reasonable to some politicians, but we're, we're going to release more and more prisoners out into the general population without any preparation of the population or the prisoners. They don't have to have a job lined up. They don't have to have transportation or a place to stay. Just go. Back out. You've been, out, you've been in prison trying to stab each other and fight each other all the time, and I'm just going to release you out into the public. And we're going to also uh, shrink the police forces down to almost nothing and disarm the public. No, no chance. Oh, oh, let's not leave this out. Do you know what's been happening in our courts? I know. Um, they've been teleworking. How do you conduct court business teleworking efficiently? You don't. So what they have made us aware of as a state now is that there's going to be an incredible uptick in prosecuted crimes because they've just been sitting on them. People are just not getting prosecuted. They just commit the crimes and still out there doing it, cutting people's uh, exhaust systems off for money. Right there in neighborhoods that never had crime before. And our young people are being taught from politicians at very high levels to despise authority. And this seals people's fate because their destiny is ultimate and eternal destruction. Obviously, God is not pleased with this kind of thinking. So Christians, we need to be heard. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, the second part of it, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Boy, that's powerful language, Peter. Suffering wrong as the wage of their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They're amongst us. Wow, that's some strong language. And it's very similar to what we read in Jude, which is also a little bit further. It's right before Revelation. I want to read this out of Jude. It's just a small section. If I had time, I'd read the whole thing because it's very pertinent. You'll go ahead and click that slide. Thanks. Starting with verse 8, Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! We have people doing this today. People love to... I, I've had I, I, this couple that I know. They told me a wonderful story. I think I shared it with you before where they, the, the woman said, 
I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And then stuff flew across the table and she said it worked. Well, our Bible tells us in Jude, you're not supposed to do that. Even the archangel said, the Lord rebuke you. That's the biblical way. But these people, these false teachers, they just go about doing whatever they're going to do. And because a whole lot of other people do it, it sounds reasonable. It sounds like the thing you're supposed to do. I mean, you can turn on your TV and people will, they'll do it right there. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. They'll just do it right there. They'll, in the middle of a prayer, you might get sucked into, because they want your money, and you're sucked into this prayer, and they're praying, and they're praying, and all of a sudden, in the middle of a prayer, they'll start talking to an evil spirit. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Whoa, whoa, I thought we were talking to God. You're rebuking God? You're talking to somebody else now. I was praying to our Lord. If you actually are engaging in those prayers, and suddenly they flip it, and they're talking to some evil spirit, your spirit is not going to like that. You're, you're just like, whoa, I was praying to God. What are, who are you talking to? Just pay attention to that. Even the archangels, even the archangel did not do that. Don't get caught up in these weird teachings. I'll read the rest of our text, starting with verse 16 in 2 Peter chapter 2. They have eyes full of adultery. hey, hey. Is that good timing or what? <laughs> Insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. I don't know. Just think about that for a minute, this accursed children. I don't know about you, but the way it feels right now to me, it's like we've got... Older people that are like at high levels in our country right now, but it feels like the children are running things. Does it not? Like, what, what in the world? Did you not grow up? Do you not understand principles of effective biblical Christianity? I guess not. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. And if you don't know, this comes from Numbers 22. It's, uh, it starts at Numbers 22 and it goes to 24. But when you read the story, it's hard to really grab a hold. Like, what, what did he do that was so bad? Did you, you've read the story, right? You know the story. He's, so he's basically, Balak wants him to curse Israel. And Balaam knows he can't do that because God has blessed Israel. But for whatever reason, Balaam still wants to appeal to God. Hey, uh, Balak is asking, <laughs> that's what he did wrong. You know you're not supposed to do that. And you go to God to find, hey, is there some way we can accommodate these evil people? Because hmm? they're trying to pay him, you know? That's the problem with Balaam. And that's why his donkey had to correct him. And that's uh, it's pretty bad when your donkey has to correct you. <laughs> but that's what it takes, apparently, to some people. 
And it could be confusing because there's a lot of books out there. There's a lot of videos out there. There's a lot of things on TV with people proclaiming that they are speaking on behalf of Christ. I think if you want to know the answer of how you determine who's actually leading for Christ and who's fake, look at this. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Once again, it goes back to this book. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So if you're listening to someone who's teaching you, a preacher or a televangelist or an author or some other expert, check everything with this and follow them only as they follow Christ. If they stop following Christ, don't follow them. And the only way you're going to know is if you know this book. This is God's word. It's not something that's meant to be played with. We'll talk more about that next week when we talk about the uh, teaching of uh, once saved, always saved. And then we're going to pick back up and talk more about end times in two weeks. Five things. Don't get caught up in sensational end times stuff. First, use God's word as the supreme source of truth. Are you with me on that? This is it. There's no other source that is supreme truth. Second, focus on things on which God wants us to focus. It's easy to get distracted. Three, spend little time on low-priority things. Three, or four, be patient. The Lord is faithful to His faithful ones. And that is the story of Esther. And by the way, if you don't know the story of Esther, it's a shame. Because actually what happened in the story of Esther at the end of it, maybe it's the heat with all this static. I have no idea. I can't be, I'm not even moving and it's doing that. Anyway, so at the end of Esther, God said every year his people are supposed to gather and read that story. That was a command. So if you haven't read the story of Esther, you need to read the story of Esther. It is the only book in the entire Bible that does not say God's name, does not say God. Yet the story itself has a, an extremely powerful message that God is faithful to His faithful ones. And fifth, seek Christ's pleasure above our own. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving us your word. It seems like every step we take in any direction in your word, you have so much wisdom that's practical for our daily living. Thank you. Help us to do what we can to please you in following it. Lord, move us to read your word on our own. Move us to not be focused on things that aren't that important to you. God, help us to be excited about the things that excite you. May we bless you, as you certainly blessed us. In Jesus' name, amen.